Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. If you did not bring a Bible, you don't have a Bible app on a device, we do have Bibles on the welcome table there. You're welcome to grab one from the welcome table. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This morning we are continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we're going to be moving, uh, we're moving along in, a, in what I thought was going to be, and I didn't mean to lie to you last week, unintentionally I lied, uh, that I thought it was going to be a two-part study. It's actually a three-part study now of uh, learning from Paul's journey to Jerusalem, and this is something we're covering in Acts 21, verses 1 through 14. In part one last week, we took more of an expositional look at these verses and focused more on the places and the people as Paul journeyed toward Jerusalem and saw these threads of, of redemption and reconciliation in the, the people that Paul met with, the things that kind of came up in that part of the journey as those who were affected by the persecution of, of Saul of Tarsus 20 years earlier. The Lord brought these, uh, these relational meetings back together again where Paul was now spending time with and, and staying in the homes of people who were now in these areas because of him. And, and not in a positive way at the time. And yet God was able to redeem those situations and so we, we looked at that last week. Part two today, we're, before we revisit a few things in this passage regarding the, the warnings and concern of the believers that Paul met and, and the will of the Lord being done in Paul's life as he journeyed to Jerusalem, which we're going to do next week in part three. Today in part two, we're going to seek to gain a right or, or foundational understanding uh, of the Lord's will so that we can have a right perspective of Paul's situation here and moving forward in the book of Acts and, and a right perspective even for our own lives and situations. And so with that in mind, let's read verses 1 through 14 as we get into our time here. Acts 21, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 5, when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on, to our, went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? 
for I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. Clearly, as we see Paul's friends declare in verse 14, the Lord has a will, a desire, a plan for our lives. And it's important for us to know what his will is so that we can then walk in his will. But it's also important we know that God actually wants us to know his will. Check out what Paul prayed for the Colossian believer, believers, a prayer really for all believers in Colossians 1 verse 9. The apostle Paul there in his prayer, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Understand Paul prayed this because... God's desire is for us to experience this, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know, for many, the will of God is this mysterious, unknowable, unattainable thing that's only revealed or grasped, grasped, grasped by, by a chosen few, by God himself. Like there's some elite of Christianity. They're the people who know God's will. They're the people who are able to discern God's will. But you know what? Maybe for the rest of us, not so much. Now listen, if a, if a person doesn't know what God's will is for their life individually, it's not because his will is unknowable. Why would Paul pray this prayer in Colossians 1.9 unless it was actually possible for us to know the will of God? Not only is it possible, it is God's desire for you and me to know his will. Let's focus in on verse 9 just a little bit, uh, Colossians 1 verse 9, really dig into what God's will is. Paul prays that we may be filled, this word meaning to make full or complete, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And this word knowledge carries the meaning of a full sort of knowledge. But he doesn't just pray that we would have a knowledge of God's will, but that we would have spiritual understanding in that knowledge. And that we would have wisdom in it as well. And wisdom, as we know, is the application of knowledge. Basically, Paul's praying that we would have this full, complete, experiential, applicational knowledge and spiritual understanding of God's will. And that's a pretty powerful thing for Paul to pray for us. But with that prayer in mind, we still would probably ask the question, what is the will of God and how can we know it? How can I know it personally? What I'm going to share with you guys this morning are things I've, I've, I've learned over the past 20, 27 years, which is really weird to say, 27 years I've been walking with the Lord studying his word, seeking to know his own will for, for my life and ministry. Basically, we can divide God's will into two sort of areas. Number one would be God's general will. And number two 
would be God's specific and individual will. Again, God's general will would be the first one. God's specific and individual will would be the second area. We're going to look at God's general will first, which is going to help shed more light as we get into God's specific and individual will for each of us. And so the first kind of point about God's general will, and this is where it has to start. This is the starting point for every single person in all of humanity when it comes to God's general will. And that's number one, that God's will is that all would be saved. First, first place. You, you don't get into the rest of his will if we don't get to this part. God's will is that all would be saved. Check out a couple of verses we're going to put up on the screen. First, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes of the Lord saying that he's the one who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, Peter writes that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, this is the basic of basics in this foundational aspect of all other things to follow. Without salvation, a, a person is totally and completely outside of the will of God because his will for their life, first and foremost, is that they would be saved. And if there's anybody who's joined us, anyone even joining online who's never surrendered their heart to Jesus, who never repented of your sin, never put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, had your sins forgiven, you need to know that God's will for your life is that you give your life and surrender to Jesus Christ. No one's excluded from that. There's not like, well, you know what, these people, but these people, I'm kind of okay with them eternally damned. You know, it's, there's not like some wiggle room in here. There's, there's not a, I really love these people and these people, they're going to get what's coming to them. He's not willing that any, any would perish. Why? Because God knows how horrible hell is going to be. Not even the worst person in all of history would God go, that person really should go there. Oh, he wants even that person to repent. And come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And for anybody who's joined us, who's in that place, you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm going to give an opportunity later on to do that. Now, not only is it God's will that all would be saved, but along that same line of thinking, there's also something here for us, uh, for those of us who have already received Jesus' free gift of salvation, and that's that he wants those of us who are disciples of Jesus to share, to spread the gospel and make disciples so that this first point of his general will will be fulfilled. We have a part to play in this by God's grace. He doesn't need us in order to bring people to a saving knowledge of his son, but in his grace and his infinite wisdom, He's chosen to use us to be ambassadors of Christ who bring this message of reconciliation to a world that is lost and is separated from God because of their sin so that they turn to Jesus Christ. Now, when I say infinite wisdom, we might go, well, it, God could do better than me. 
You know, I falter. I don't always say the right thing. Sometimes when I'm faced with somebody who, and I need to share the gospel, sometimes I don't. You know, we, we look at the, you know, even during the tribulation period, that we're, we find that there's these angels that fly through the heavens and they're proclaiming the good news. And it's like, God, you could do way better than me, way better than us. If you just sent some angels, I think people would be more prone to believe in you than, than in me, who is very much fallible. And, and I don't feel like I always have the right words. And yet he hasn't chosen to do that. He hasn't chosen to send angels through the heavens now proclaiming the good gospel of, of, of Jesus Christ. He's, he's chosen to send us. We're the people he wants to use. And part of his will to save people is to reach those people with people who have been saved. You and I have a dynamic and a witness that even the angels don't have. The angels don't have never experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They can't testify of the grace of God in the same way that you and I can who have experienced it firsthand. As people who were dead in sin and trespasses and have been made alive now because of Jesus Christ, you and I have a witness that even the angels don't have. And he wants to use us to fulfill this first part of his will. To save the lost. We can't neglect this first step. We can't lose sight of God's heart for lost people. That he actually wants to save them. But moving on, the second point, once now a, a person is saved, we've it, it, now with that sort of in mind, God's general will is se the second thing here. God's will is that his people would be continually filled with his Holy Spirit. Number two, for God's, God's general will, his will is that his people would be continually filled with his Holy Spirit. Check out what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 18. He wrote there, See then that you walk circumspectly, rightly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, Paul, tell us then, what's the will of the Lord? If we're to understand it, what is it? He says, don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be Filled with the Spirit. Why is this part of God's will for us? Now as saved people. You ever find that within you, you have this still carnal sort of nature, a flesh nature that, that wants to continually drive you away from the things of the Lord, to drive you into the things that are you, gratifies you, feeds into things that oftentimes are not pleasing to the Lord, the things of sin. It, it starts the very moment we awake from sleep. Our flesh is thinking about us. We're not thinking about necessarily the things of the Lord, if we're honest. Maybe some days, maybe some days we wake up and we're like, wor just a worship song just bursts forth from our lips. But 
maybe for some of us that are not as spiritual, we, we wake up and we're going, I'm hungry. I'm tired. Oh, I hate this bed. Hate this pillow. I need to get a new pillow. Oh, I have to go to work. Oh, I'm going to have to talk to so-and-so today. Oh, the weather stinks. Oh, it's too hot. Oh, it's too cold. What is it? It's your flesh. Thinking about you. Our, our flesh wants to take us outside of God's will. Because it's sinful. It's contrary to what the Spirit of God is wanting to do in us and through us. There are a lot of things in this world that we can fill ourselves with. Lots of things that we could be filled with that would seek to control us. Paul gives a contrast here. First, with being filled with wine, being drunk, which he says is dissipation, it's, it's excess. Alcohol alters the state of consciousness of the person drinking. It causes a person to do and say things oftentimes that in their right mind they normally wouldn't affects decision-making and in a sense controls a person. And the contrast here that Paul's make, Paul makes is then with being filled with the Spirit. And literally the way it's written in the Greek is that we would be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Not like a one-time event but a continual way of living. See, when we're filled and controlled by the Spirit of God, we actually think and see things rightly. He affects the things that we say and do. He affects the, the, the decisions that we make. He, he causes us, the Spirit of God will cause us to live out the will of God, and this brings glory to God. We need to be daily and continually filled with the Holy Spirit, not just for discerning the will of God, but also just for living out these lives that God has called us to live in a way that pleases the Lord and brings Him the most amount of glory. We need to be filled with the Spirit. That's His will for our lives. But then the third thing about God's general will, for those of us who are saved, is that God's will is that we would live pure and holy lives. God's will is that we would live pure and holy lives. Check out what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 8. Paul wrote this. He said, for this is the will of God. I mean, can we get any more clear than that? This is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. He's speaking of your body. In sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. And I love what Paul says here in verse, verse 8. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. Who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Paul's like, look, if you've got a problem, that's between you and the Lord. You don't like this? Your problem's not with me. 
you have a problem with God's will for your life. You know, purity and holiness are not popular in the eyes of the godless world that we live in. But they are a necessary aspect of our personal walk with Jesus. There's no way we are going to experience the kind of closeness and intimacy of fellowship with the Lord that he's desiring to have with us when our bodies are being used for unclean things and when our minds are being filled with unclean things. And this is a huge issue in our day. The, the world around us is trying to reshape and redefine what's okay when it comes to sex and sexuality. And, and we have to ask, how do we know God's will for our lives when it comes to these things? Well, we have to go to the only source of absolute truth that actually speaks into these issues, and that's the Word of God. Listen, the one who created us, who created gender, who created marriage, who created us to be able to experience pleasure, God created us to be able to do that, has a will regarding all these things. And his will is not changed just because the world around us views things differently than he does. God's will is our sanctification, our holiness, our purity, that we would abstain that we would steer clear of all forms of sexual immorality. And you know, we've done kind of a bad job as the church in these days. When we talk about sexual sin, the church oftentimes just wants to elevate homosexuality as this, the major sin, the predominant thing that we now need to address. But that's just one of many sexual sins that are outside of God's will. Just like pornography, which is prevalent in our day. Just like adultery, this push now for what they call polyamorous relationships, polygamy, sexual intimacy before marriage, not just even outside of the marriage relationship, but before marriage, along with homosexuality. They're all sins that we are to steer clear of. These are not God's will for our life. God doesn't call us to live lives of holiness and purity where we abstain from all sexual immorality because he wants to ruin our fun. God's just the cosmic killjoy. He just, God, you're a party pooper, you know. No, he created us. And he loves us and he knows what's best for our lives. And because he knows that sin will destroy us. God's word is clear on what his will is for our lives in the area of our sexuality and purity and holiness. And he hasn't changed his standards or changed his mind. His will is that we would live pure and holy lives. But now this last point, the fourth point about God's general will, again, for those who are saved, is that God's will, number four, is that we would be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. God's will is that we would be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Look at what Paul went on to write there in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. 
he wrote, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He's not now contradicting what he said in chapter 4. No, actually, I was wrong about the other thing. This is actually God's will now. No, these are all, these things are all part of his will for our lives. Part of this shows the separation between us and unbelievers. Having joy, even in the midst of trials and suffering, isn't how the world around us responds. And when unbelievers see us having joy, that doesn't mean that you're putting on this fake thing because you're really having a hard time, but you know, you're just really trying to put on a smile and everything's great and inside you're dying. Like, no, there's a deep joy that's found in just having the Lord in our lives that we can have that other people cannot have. It's not that they don't want it. They can't have it apart from Jesus. That deep abiding joy comes from the person of Jesus Christ inside of us. And, and that, when somebody else sees that, when they see us still trusting in the Lord, when everything's bad, when everything's hard, when stuff's not going the way that we want it to, that they can look at our lives and go, why? How? And we can go, it's Jesus. It, it still hurts. It doesn't mean that these things don't hurt, that they're not still hard. But guys, as we cling to Jesus, there is this deep abiding joy that the Lord wants to bring about in our lives, in our suffering, in our trials, in our circumstances. It's his will for us. Praying without ceasing is God's will because he desires that constant communication with us. And the giving of thanks is God's will because he's worthy. He's worthy. This aspect of thanksgiving, of praise, of worship, he's worthy of it. It's his will for our lives that we thank him, we praise him, we worship him. These are all part of God's general will. But if all of those things are God's general will, then the question that most of us as believers would, would have is, well, what's God's specific or, specific or individual will? Specifical. I like to combine words together, something I do, most usually from the pulpit. What's a specific will for my life? What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to go? What am I supposed to do for a living? Where does he want me to live? Is this the right relationship to be in? How do I know if I'm in the center of his will? These are just a handful of questions that most of us have probably asked God in the past, are, are, are asking him right now in the present, or will ask him at some point or another in the future. And I want to tell you right now, if you have any of those questions, all I can tell you is, I don't know. Sorry. 
I'm just saying that because I'm not going to now address those questions for you. And you, hey, and let me talk to you about the thing that you. While God has made it clear in his word what his general will is, his, his specific or individual will can be pretty unclear to us at times. But, but please understand this. It's still his word. It's still his word that we need to go to to help us navigate and discern what his will for each of us personally or individually is. Why? Because if it's, if it's not his word directing us, you know who it is? It's you. You're directing you. I'm directing me. Check out what Paul said in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul wrote this. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. Anybody today just need to be reminded that God's will is perfect? It's perfect. It, it may not always seem that way at the time. Uh, you know, for, for the Apostle Paul, even in Acts 21, that for his friends to be able to think about Paul going to Jerusalem where he was going to be bound, he's going to suffer, he's going to be persecuted, he's going to be arrested... It was not their will for Paul to have to go through those things. In some ways, they had to remind themselves, the will of the Lord be done. Not my will, but the Lord's will. Because his will is perfect. See, this passage of Romans 12 provides us with some important keys to helping us know God's specific an individual will, or if you will, God's specifical will for your life. Feel free to use it anytime. They might look at you like you're crazy, but you can just say your pastor said it, so, you know, there you go. Look again at the end of verse 2 there. It says, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, in order to prove, and that word prove means to test or examine or scrutinize to see if it's genuine. In order to prove if it's that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, we have to do these three things that Paul says in those two verses. We have to, number one, present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. You know, that can be one of the hardest things for us. Because we want to jump off the altar at times. We'll, we'll hop on it in a moment. Lord, here's all of my life. Lord, do whatever you want. And then something hard happens and we're like, okay, Lord, I'm ready. I, I, I'll get back to that one. I'll come back to, I mean, I'll come back to that place. But Lord, right now, like, I don't like that. I don't want to have to go through that. And this idea of a living sacrifice was, was not a thing that was ever a thing in the nation of Israel. You didn't bring, you didn't have a living sacrifice. When you sacrifice something, you had to kill it. You had to take its life to then put it on the altar. 
Why? Because if you didn't do that, the animal would hop off. No animal in their right mind is going to stay there and be burned. It's going to jump off. And we do the same sorts of things when life heats up. When trials come and suffering happens and there's hardship and there's opposition and there's persecution. It's not our natural sort of response to want to stay on the altar. And yet it's on the altar where the Lord refines us. It's on the altar where the Lord purifies our lives. It's on the altar where the Lord sanctifies us even more. And, 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 and so that the, the reflection of Jesus Christ in us is seen by others. And presenting our bodies means that it's not an automatic. It means it's a conscious choice, a willing choice on our part. We present ourselves, Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am. Do whatever you want with me. Your will be done. Lord, not mine, but yours. Then he says, to not, number two, not be conformed to this world. Why? Because the world around us is constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold. It, it wants to fit us into its system, its godless system. And we have to fight against that conforming sort of influence of the world. Part of how we fight against it is by continually presenting our Lord, ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, no, no, no. It's your will. It's your way. It's your word that I want to live according to. Not what the wor world is telling me. Not what they say is acceptable, but what you say, Lord. And then third, the third key there is, is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul mentions in Ephesians 5 this washing of of the water of the word. That, you know, there are things that we can stop doing. We can quit doing outwardly. But you know the harder things to quit oftentimes are the things that are mentally. Because sin is just not, it's not just outward. In James 1, he talks about how sin actually begins in the mind. Before the things ever even happened outwardly, it's begun here. Where it's given birth in here. And then the sin baby comes out in outward doings. Like he, he kind of uses the progression of like childbirth there. Anyways, that wasn't supposed to be that weird, but it came out weird. Sin baby. There's no sin babies. That was a weird example. But we give, sin, sin is given birth from what starts in our minds. And that transforming of our minds is important because how we think directs how we live. How we think directs what we do. It directs what we say. It directs how we see people. It all starts here. If our minds are not transformed, we can do religious sorts of things, but inwardly, there's still uncleanness that exists. We're still about us. We might still be living out a life of sin up here, but maybe outwardly we've quit doing those things. But it, there's still stuff up here that, 
that has to be renewed, made like new. And, and you know as well as I do that living in this world, walking the, through the things that we have, the things even from our past before Christ saved us, those things can still linger in our minds. And we want to get rid of them. We don't want them to be up there. We don't want to think those sorts of thoughts. And yet oftentimes they're still there. And the Lord wants to transform us, not just our outward doing, but our inward thinking. Transforming us, making our minds like new. What is it? Where does it start? Present our bodies. Presenting ourselves to the Lord every single day. Not being conformed to this world and then letting the water of the word of God wash us and cleanse our minds so that the, that renewal can take place. You know, the will of God, oftentimes we just think about it as decisions and actions and opportunities. And there is an aspect to that, for sure. But I want us to understand as we consider some of these things, even what we've already considered about God's general will. Clearly, in all of these things we've looked at, the will of God is more about who we are becoming than what we are doing. Purity in our lives, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being saved people, that's, that's a becoming thing. He, he cares about who we're becoming. Who are we being transformed into the likeness of? God is wanting by his spirit to conform us. See, the, the world is wanting to conform us into its, its image. But Jesus is wanting to conform us into his image, into his likeness. And the more that we abide in Jesus, the more that we become like Jesus, the more we will find ourselves living out God's will for our lives. Check out what the psalmist David said in Psalm 37, verse 4. He wrote, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know, there's a stipulation in that verse. The first thing is that God has to be our delight. That, does, that doesn't just mean like, oh, I'm just, I love the thought of the Lord. <laughs> I'm delighted when I think of him. He's cool. No, this delight means that God has to be our passion. He's, he's got to be our everything. He's got to have the preeminence in our lives. Because if he's not, the desires of our heart are going to be our own and not things given to us by the Lord. And notice also, not just the stipulation of God being our delight, but notice that David does not say, just follow your heart. 
follow your heart and God will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that kind of like how some people live? Please do not follow your heart. The Bible says that, you know, the heart is deceptive and wicked above all things. Who can know it? We don't even know at times how messed up we are in our hearts. Don't follow your heart, but delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. You know, there's this amazing thing that takes place when we truly delight ourselves in the Lord, when He's everything to us. As we delight in Him and our, and our will is brought in line with His and conform to His will, not only does He give us the desires of our heart, He also changes, I've found, the desires of our heart and He puts His desires in there. There are a lot of things in my life that were not a desire of my heart. Teaching God's word was not a desire of my heart. 20 years ago. It wasn't. I was not, that wasn't the thing. I was just like, let me lead worship. That's it. That's all I want to do, Lord. Just lead worship. All That's my thing. It's what you called me to do. So I thought. But as I just sought the Lord, as I continued to walk with the Lord, nothing special about me. I'm not saying I'm any different than you. But just as walking with the Lord is continuing to just go, Lord, I just want to serve you. I want to live for you. Lord, whatever you want, that God began to change my heart. He began to put desires in my heart that weren't previously there. From feeling like my five-minute giving of a message to a youth group being like one of the most terrible experiences of my life to like teaching the Bible multiple times during the week, being the, just a youth guy, being the young adult pastor, then being an assistant pastor, and then coming up here to plant this church and be a lead pastor. None of those things were initially desires of my heart. I didn't even, they weren't even on my radar. I just wanted to serve the Lord. I wanted to be faithful to the Lord. He changed my heart. He aligned my will with his. And, and I'm not any different than you. The calling will be different. His will might look different, but if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will put his desires in your heart. He will lead you into the things that are his will for you. I want to share, I've shared a lot of, a lot of things that are just things that I've, whatever, whatever. But here are some things that I've learned about God's will over the course of my Christian life. We're going to put them up on the screen. Listen, his will is usually made known to us in our waiting and praying and not in our busyness or our complaining. You know, we're complaining about the Lord. You know, where our, you know where our mindset is at? It's not on the Lord. It's on us. I'm not really even listening to the Lord. I'm just frustrated with the Lord. Now, in his power and his grace, he can still meet us there. And he can meet us in our complaining. But it's not usually made known to us in that. Or in our busyness. Sometimes we're so busy about our own lives, that we miss the things that are actually God's will for our lives. Because 
We're not spending time waiting and praying upon the Lord. And that doesn't mean your whole day, your whole week, that you, you don't get things done. But if we're not making the time to really wait upon the Lord and seek his face and, and not just talk to him, but listen in silence, we may miss out on those things that are his will for us. Also, his will is usually made known to us in our worshiping and not in our worrying. I, I've had the Lord meet me in times of worship and speak to me and give me direction and, and fill me with his spirit and, and, and even use others in my life to confirm things in times of worship. Why? Because our hearts are focused on the Lord. I mean, we're, we're trying to give to the Lord the worship that he's due, but in that place, he will meet us in our worship. And he wants to. But when we're worrying, again, there's, a, there's oftentimes this self sort of focus. That doesn't mean we don't bring our worries to the Lord. But oftentimes his will being made known to us is not in that place of just constant worrying. It's in the worshiping. His will... Again, another point here, his will is usually made known to us in our walk of faith and not in our wallowing or faithlessness. You know, we're just moping around like, God, you don't care about my life. What's that? Everything's bad. And it's like, he can meet us there for sure. He, he'll, he'll bring encouragement and comfort us and pull us up, you know, out of those places of, of wallowing or even faithlessness where we're just not, we just don't even believe that the Lord's going to show up in something, but in that walk of faith where we're trusting him, where we're looking to him, where we're, de where we're depending upon him, oftentimes that's the place that he makes known his will. His will is always made known to us in his perfect timing and not in our impatient timing. I can't believe no one amen that. I thought for sure. No, I'm just kidding. We have a timing, don't we? We know our timing. It was yesterday. It was last week. It was last year. It was 10 years ago. We have our timing. But how often does God work within our timetable? Is it because he forgets? Did he lose his watch? Does he need a better secretary? No, none of those things. He has a timing that's not ours. A timetable that is taking into consideration all of humanity. All the relational dynamics, all the stuff he's seeking to work out in our lives. Everything that even in our lives that's going to work something in somebody else's life and in their life and in our life. And if, if for the span of all eternity, all of those things in God's infinite sovereignty, he knows what he's doing and he has a timing and it's perfect. And his perfect timing we can trust in. His will will always line up with his word. God will never lead you into something that's contrary to his word. Ever. You are not led by the spirit of God if you are walking in something that is contrary to the word of God. Because God will not contradict himself. He won't inspire these men to write Holy Scripture and then go, but for you, I'm going to make an exception. Go for it. Do your thing. 
And his will is always his best, and it's always for his glory. It's always his best. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean it's going to be free of problems, free of suffering, free of trials. Was Jesus exempt from it? Was, were any of the disciples exempt from it? No. And we're not any different. But his will is always his best. And he always has his glory in our mind. And not just his glory, our good. He's working all things together for our good. You know, Paul prayed what he did in Colossians 1.9 because God wants us to know his will and, and live and stay in his will for our lives. And there's no greater joy than being in that place of knowing that the will of, of God is being accomplished in our lives personally and individually. And while I can't tell you what God's specific will is for your life, God has his ways of revealing those things to us. But do the first things. Do the first things. The things that you already know are the will of God. Do those things. You know, sometimes we'll neglect those things. We're like, God, I want this specific thing in this specific situation. But he's like, I've already told you my will. You're not even doing that. Do the first things. Know that he's not going to reveal all his will to us all at once. That would mess us up in all kinds of ways. If you knew all the things that were coming down the line for the rest of your life, you would be, it would, it would wreck you. We can't handle that. Sometimes we can't even handle the next step. He's like, just take half a step. I'll meet you in the half the step. You're just stepping. I'll meet you in that. Revealed my will to you. Guys, he wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to depend upon him. He wants us to abide in him. He wants us presenting our, our lives to him as living sacrifices. And he wants us to delight in him supremely. And all of these things are to be daily things for us. You know, this isn't a magic recipe. But these ingredients here that we've looked at will help us be in a place where God can direct us. Where he has our full attention, our, our hearts, our lives. And, and we'll look at some more things actually in regards to the will of God in our study next week. But I, but I pray you've been equipped today. That a, that a solid biblical foundation has been laid today. That you've been given some tools today to know and discern God's will for your life. And that each of us will not only be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, but that each of us will walk in the will of God and bring him glory. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. You know, as I said earlier, that, that first point of God's general will is that all would be saved. All would be saved. And, you know, if there's anybody that's joined us today, and you've not, that first part has not been taken care of. Know today that God desires this to be the day of salvation for you. Why? Because he is not willing that you perish, but that you come to repentance. 
Repentance, that, that change of thinking that leads to a change of direction. Turning away from sin, turning in faith to Jesus Christ. If that's anybody here today need to make that decision, I, I just encourage you to stand where you're at. You know, maybe even someone joining online and you're going, look, that's me. Like, I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. You know, maybe today for some, it's, it's these things have kind of even maybe shown a light into your life of, of some things that have been left there that are not part of God's will for you. And maybe for you today, it's, a, it's, a, it's not standing to receive Jesus' salvation. It's standing to, to repent and just recommit to the Lord. And maybe for you, you would stand if that's anyone here today that you're going, look, that's me. Like, I've, I've not been walking in the will of God. I've, I've allowed things to be in my life that don't belong. And, and you would stand for prayer today. This last invitation I want to give. And you know what? There might be some people online that are, that are going like, look, Jared, you just forgot about me, moved on. Um, but I just encourage you, if that's you, just to, to pray in your own heart. And the Lord sees you and, and knows and, and just to be able to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Would you save me and, and forgive me and cleanse me and come into my life? And just encourage you as you do that, the Bible says you will be saved. We'd love to follow up with you. But look, if, if you're here and maybe this morning you're just going, I just need prayer to know God's will. Like, I just want to know God's will for my life. I'd love to pray for you if that's you this morning. And we're going to have the prayer team available and they're, they're back there right now. And we'd love to pray for you. But I know even the prayer team may stand if they were not standing now uh, to, to pray, pray for this for themselves. But if that's you this morning and you just want to know God's will, you want prayer to know God's will for your life, would you stand where you're at? Anybody else? Going, look, like I just, I want to know God's will because I want to walk in God's will. I desire everything that God has for me. And maybe that's you today. Let's pray and pray for you all. Lord, I thank you for these that have stood. Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. God, as we've been able to look at this subject of, of your will, Lord, your general will, your specific and individual will, Lord, every bit of it, God, we desire to see happening. Lord, we want to see people saved. Lord, we want to see lost people find salvation in Jesus. Lord, we want to be those who, who go with your gospel and bring your gospel to others, Lord, that they would be saved. God, we want to be those who walk in your spirit continually. Lord, we want to live lives of purity and holiness. Lord, we want to be those who are prayerful and, and joyful and thankful. And Lord, today we, we do just present ourselves to you, Lord, as living sacrifices. Just saying, Lord, we're yours. All of us is yours, Lord. Every bit of me is yours. And Lord, any area where I've been conformed to the world, Lord, forgive me. Lord God, would I be conformed instead into the image of Jesus? 
Lord God, would you transform me by the renewing of my mind. Help me to discern. Help me to prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of yours. And Lord, for each of these who have stood, Lord, would you speak to them. Lord, would you direct them. Lord, would you give them wisdom and solutions and answers. God, would you make next steps sort of things clear. God, would they hear your voice saying, this is the way to walk in. And just be able to move straight ahead into those things. And God, any missteps would you cover by your grace. Lord, lead your people. We are your flock, the sheep of your hand. And Jesus, we just want to hear our shepherd's voice and follow you. And so, Lord, lead us. Lead us in these things, Lord, that are close to our hearts. And, Lord, even more than what we do, Lord, would you be working on who we are, who we are becoming. Make us more like Jesus. And we thank you, Father. We want to sing these songs of praise to you now in response. In Jesus' name, amen.